I moved into Carter's Beach about 50 years ago, and when they spoke about the batches and the little houses in Carter's Beach, I bought a batch. It cost me $3,500. But to get to each room, you had to walk along the veranda that had completely rotted away. I'd just been married. The wife wasn't impressed, so I started to repair the batch. I'm an engineer, not a carpenter. Proceeded to do some work, and then I found it would be easier if I got the chainsaw out and cut between the three rooms so as I could do the work a lot easier rather than having to go out onto the veranda. So that was my introduction to Carter's Beach, but I'll speak a bit more about the beach. My kids grew up on the beach like all kids do, but a lot of things washed up on the beach in those days. At night, you could look out there and it looked like a city with all the shrimp boats or the squid boats out there with their lights. I understand the lights attract the squid, but then the squid go into the darkness under the hull of the boat and fly out and catch the lures as they go past. So on the beach, you'd often pick up glass buoys, big light bulbs. All sorts of things have washed up on the beach over a period of time. There's been some sad things happen out there. A mate of mine, they used to run a three-day parachuting competition out there, a memorial for Glenn Shaw, who died in a parachuting accident in Lake Ellesmere. They'd strapped a parachute to his back, and he got the wind picked it up and dragged him into the lake and drowned him. So his brothers, Don and Brian, put together a three-day event that run for many years at Carter's Beach. They used to terrify the golfers because the parachutists would be jumping out. You'd hear the plane start to stall and they'd jump out. But one day... One chap landed in the sea, and yes, they only found parts of him on the beach many many months later. And the same day, another fellow landed outside the gates of the airport, and he had spun round, and yeah, he didn't survive. So that sort of died a natural death, the parachuting weekends. But my father-in-law had a little spaniel, and he used to walk the beach a fair bit, and his dog dug up a bottle. Now, I was a bit sceptical about this bottle because there was a note in the bottle and I thought it had survived from the Second World War and it was written in pencil and I thought about it a bit. And I thought, no. But it must have been covered by sand. As it's been washed ashore, it's been covered up so the pencil is legible, you can read it. And it was a note thrown overboard from a sailor off a, an American ship and it had the longitude and latitude on it that they had sunk boats on. I approached the Homes Program to see if they would look at uh, resourcing someone to look into it to see if any of these people were still alive on that event. There was a newspaper clipping, and I, I got the press to do a newspaper article with Maureen and Ted and the dog in it. So, yes, a lot of things wash up on Carter's Beach. We've had whales. Uh, it was only about three years ago we had a big leatherback turtle turn up. I'm not a Tahu, so I went and seen one of my mates who is a Maori. I says, look, you get the whales, I'm having the turtle. And he, he just thought that was hilarious. Um, but they took it away and buried it. I don't know where they buried it, but it was it was a large animal. It would be about a metre and a half long and about a metre wide. Kids got photos taken with it standing on its shell and all sorts of things. We've got a bit of erosion there. I could have been responsible for a bit of that because when I was the chairman of the domain board, I had all the frontage of the domain cleared and uh, I was also involved over 40 years ago putting the tennis courts there and I can remember taking a cheque down to Old Gibbainan for $7,000 for surfacing the tennis courts with you know the black surface that they, tar seal that they put on and it was for $7,000 
And he says, look, Sonny, you're doing a good job. He says, pay me next year and just make it for 6000 I don't, I don't know what the dodge was, but he gave us $1,000 off. And those tennis courts have still got the same asphalt surface there today, although the seas eroded in there a fair bit. The other sporting events, what I've been involved in, I have a big bouncy castle that kids play on. The rubber mat rides, they go back many, many years. I think I've only set one kid into a fence and broke her arm. That was about the only accident we had. Cartmel Skinner, that was the only one. I have the wet slide that I put out, which we have to replace now. That's about $4,500 worth. But that goes out for the whole season, and kids just come along and turn the hose on as and when required. And you can get people to do things for you. They're putting the fibre through, and I thought, hell, I need a tube going from the hall across under the road. So they spent a day drilling and putting a tube in there so as I can put a water supply out to the next slide that we purchase. It was a great place to bring up kids. Like, um, they, they just went away like go-karts. They'd take off and they'd just come and get you when they'd run out of petrol halfway to the tip head or gone the other way. A lot of people helped. Other people have spoken about the volunteers in the community. When it come Christmas time, we would put on a two-day gala and it was just a matter of going around and asking people to come and run a stall. They'd set up the stall. I remember once a mate of mine had a hotel in town and I said to him, look, is there any chance of getting all your one-armed bandits out of the pub? And that was in the day where the publicans controlled all the machines. We went around town in a truck and we took about 20 machines to Carter's Beach and we had our own casino on the gala that year. You just had to go on the tent and we had kids of all ages gambling. You've got to teach kids how to gamble early in life. You get winners and losers. And we'd raise maybe $7,000 a gala, $8,000 a gala. One of the playgrounds I was sort of responsible for put in a, a slide and older kids will remember it. And I didn't want an ordinary slide so this thing was about 10 metres high was made in stainless steel, and I thought I was the first person down until Don McClellan showed me some pictures and when the construction was being done by Gid Alexander and the joker that owns a cry, Glenn Alley, he was one of the carpenters. The other one was now the assistant principal at the high school, and uh, I thought I was the first one to go down that after we'd made the stainless trays at the cement works. He showed me a picture of kids going down there with no sides on the slide, taking into account this is 10 metres high. And these kids were pretty much bulletproof. We had to alter the design because kids would climb out through the windows that we had. We had to put concrete mesh over the windows to stop them climbing out and climbing onto the gables of this big fort we had there. So as the fort became a place where all the kids congregated and had a great time, it's since been pulled down. We've built another park. I think it cost us 180000 to build the park. We had it playground made and all put together, and then we had to sit down and work out who moved what and who says we could buy this thing from Germany. Because we had a group of people that just got the job done. We didn't have many negative people on our team. It was great in as much as kids used to get on the school bus, go to school, and they'd come home. Most houses weren't locked. They'd go to their mates, especially if mum and dad worked. They'd just wander around Carter's Beach until mum and dad come home. It was a very easy place to live. Kids could have ponies. There was heaps of things for them to do. Um, you seemed to get involved in whatever your kids done because if you had to take them to town for rugby training or netball or basketball, you just got involved because you had to hang around for the time they'd be there. 
and you got to know all the kids. They become competitive. I don't know whether that's the coaches telling them who got second, the loser. And it, that seems to have changed now, although with the younger kids I have things to do with now, if you can make it a game and make it a challenge, they get more involved. Like, if the mat rides are happening and uh, one of these days they, they must be going to stop me, I had different designs of mats and tow kids around and I found out if I had handles on them, kids didn't let go and you can drag them a fair way if you listen to the radio instead of concentrating on what the kids are doing on the mat. So Jeff, um, dogs dig at a beach but they don't usually find a message in a bottle. Uh, it wasn't any old bottle that day that Maureen and Ted found at Carter's, was it? No, it turned out to be one that had been thrown overboard from a an American ship uh, by mid-shipman mid, uh, Spencer and uh, off the Dolphin. And uh, it went on to tell about the longitude and the latitude of the places where they'd sunk a U-boat, uh, two confirmed sinkings. I was quite surprised that it was still legible to be able to read the paper after that many years. So, Jeff, when Ted found the bottle that day at Carter's Beach, what did he do with it? I assume he just took it home and had a look at it and pulled the piece of paper out. And You would have thought it was a hoax for it to have been in the sea for so many years, but giving it a bit of thought and the fact that it would have been covered with sand and it was legible to read it, I would have bought it here today if we could still find it somewhere in the house. We went ahead, or I tried to get someone to actually find out if this joker, midshipman Spencer, was still alive or his family. I approached the Homes Programme. And I also got hold of the U.S. Embassy to see if they could find, you know, would go to the trouble of trying to trace this person. But nothing come about. But maybe someone hearing this podcast in years to come will decide to research it and possibly put a a finish to this tale. It's it's our understanding, Jeff, that, that it was possibly thrown overboard from a submarine that had previously fired on Japanese planes during the attack on Pearl Harbor in December 1941. That That's something that was said, but until we can get some, some more confirmation, well, they would know where the submarine was, but we don't know much about the manpower or the people that were on board. And presumably how long it was in the sea and how long potentially it was buried in the sand at Carter's Beach. We've had some erosion over a period of time. For a long time we had no erosion whatsoever, and the sea just... The land just increments of the land just grew out further and further with the marum grasses and the flaxes and the blackberries. But um, it's just turned around a little bit, and this is what's basically pulled this out of the sand maybe something like 20 years ago it was found. Well, it's almost 80 years now, and I imagine midshipman Spencer probably spent many a day wondering where his bottle might turn up and who might read his message. I'll speak to Trudy, who does everything for the trail, and see if we can, I can find the note and have maybe a photocopy taken and we'll put it in the furry and people can read a little bit of the history from there. Or having heard the podcast, they can go there and have a look at a copy of the document. <laughs> 